Malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies. That's right, and this week, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door, and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Beware (laughs) of the blob. That's right, we are watching The Blob from 1958. Oh no, go on, go on. It it just repeats, and I don't have a trumpet. Aww. I, I really, I think before we get into this, I think we have to address the lack of trumpet and what that means in preparation. I mean, it's just basic niceties that I think would, you know, all of our audience is looking for at this point in our career is to bring the trumpet when you sing the blob. John, I thought that we agreed early on that you would bring me these criticisms off the air and not on mic where you're embarrassing me in front of our audience. Are we recording? We're recording right now. <sighs> God, John. I was kidding. It was a joke. God. Everything's great. You didn't screw up the trumpet. Um, <laughs> uh, this movie, before John interrupted me, is directed by Irvin S. Yeoworth Jr. and Russell S. Doughton Jr. John. And that's still consistent uh, even after I interrupted you. Those are still true facts. It, those are absolutely true facts. Um, what do you remember about this movie? Uh, I think the reason I'm so flippantly interrupting you is because I'm afraid I'm going to have very little to say. Uh, <laughs> I I didn't know what year it was made. I didn't know who the director was. I remember very little uh, about the plot. I mean, I know Steve McQueen's in it, but not in a very Steve McQueeny kind of role. But like my personal experience with the Blob was, I remember on Sunday afternoons when I was a kid there used to be like a regular monster feature movie that would play on TV. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it was like Godzilla. Sometimes it was King Kong, you know, and then one of the times it was the blob. And, uh, I remember even as a little kid, just thinking it was kind of weird. And like, I didn't have a very, I wasn't like too afraid of it, but I was kind of mesmerized by the idea of this gigantic faceless problem that, you, you couldn't really outsmart it. You couldn't outthink it. You could maybe not even outrun it. Like, it was just pervasive and growing and everywhere. But as far as plot, as far as what's going into it, I remember very little. Okay. Um, I mean, I remember bits and pieces of it, certainly. I, I probably remember a bit more of the plot than you do. Uh, I remember this actually being one of my dad's favorite movies. Hmm. Uh, he would uh, He would randomly just sing the theme song at certain <laughs> points, like I was just doing. Um, I, I, I do remember it as far as the acting goes being like fifties good quote unquote, like it, it's not the caliber of acting that you see today. It, and I mean, it's a different time. It's a different, uh, you, you had sort of different standards and, and different ways of shooting movies back then. So, um, it was good for what it was. Uh, I remember liking Steve McQueen in this role. I think this is the first movie that I ever saw Steve McQueen in. And um, when when we talked about doing a Steve McQueen movie, I wanted to do this one because it's it's not your your sort of Steve McQueeny type movie. Like it's not a western. It's not 
so much an action movie, uh, like you know your or, or you know like your Papillons or your Great Escapes and things like that. Um, didn't really have anything to do with race cars or, or any of that stuff. Uh, so that's that's why one of the other reasons why I wanted to do this movie is it's it, it, it sort of goes against the the Steve McQueen standard. Yeah, and it was in it was in the fifties, but this was in color, right? So I've only ever seen it in color. Yeah, I imagine it probably like the first run was probably in black and white. And like it was, you know, colorized later, or maybe they they did like a dual run. Yeah, I um, picture like this pulsing red blob, reddish. So like in my mind, I'm remembering color, but then I also wonder if maybe it was originally black and white. We'll have to look into that, or more specifically, you will because you do all the research and I just talk. That that is correct, <laughs> um, except for last week, oddly enough. Yeah. Well, uh, what's up with that? Yeah, I know. It's like we completely flipped roles. Uh, yeah, I mean, I. I I'd be interested in knowing that. I do know that this movie killed uh, in the box office. And uh, I actually, a small bit of trivia. So it, it wasn't expected to do well. Like Steve McQueen didn't expect it to do well. So he was given a choice between $2,500 or 10% of the the gross on the movie. And he chose the $2,500 because he didn't think it was going to do well. It ended, up, it ended up doing $4 million at the box office, which... Ten percent of four million dollars is four thousand dollars. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're you're short a couple of zeros. So four hundred thousand uh, dollars in nineteen fifty eight dollars is a shit ton of money that Steve McQueen left on the table. Uh, That's a lot of money the, now. I could afford to live in San Francisco for a year with that kind of money. For only a year, though, right? Like you would have to move after that immediately. But yes. Yeah. They, they would evict you once that year was up. Well, I, from, I can't wait from to... From the entire city. Yeah, I like. I mean, we talk about nostalgia. This is a, a great, like, I only have little kid memories of this vague movie. So I say we jump in now and, and check it out because I'm actually, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to watch it tonight. I was kind of thinking I'm going to do that too. So uh, we're going to pause here. Uh, John and I are going to go watch this. Uh, it's just, uh, we're just watching from our private collections. Uh, so if you guys want to join in and you have it, great. If not, I'm sure you can find it online. I think it's available on Amazon or, or one of those. Uh, not as a streaming. Like, you'll have to pay for it. I think you have to rent it. But, uh, yeah. It's like anyway, $400,000, I think, to rent. Yeah, not, not a big deal. Yeah. In today dollars, it's, ne- it's next to nothing. Yeah. Uh, cool. So we'll be right back. Let's do it. Welcome back, everyone. John, why don't you start us off? I will start us off about the blob because it's best to start in the beginning. Uh, the very beginning, which is during the opening credits. Now, of course, you have... that. That's not the memories d- distillery I know. No, I'm not going to talk about if I liked it or not. Not yet. First, I'm going to talk about the opening credits. Holy um, shit. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason is because, well, of course, there's the song, the wonderful, beautiful song that you sang so eloquently not but a few moments ago. Um, Written by Burt Bacharach, by the way. Oh, wow. That I didn't pay enough attention uh, to know, but that's awesome, and that makes sense. And one thing I immediately thought, we had that discussion about 
Um, was this filmed originally in black and white or in color? And like, if it was black and white, it definitely was colorized at some point, not knowing. I, I say that a lot of the film footage in the very beginning looks like it could go either way. But for me, the biggest clue when I was thinking about it is in the very opening credits, they're using the little red squiggly line to represent mm-hmm. this blob. And I just thought, you know, this would just not really look like anything if it was just black and white. And so it makes me think the very graphics were designed to utilize color. And that's my theory. It would just be gray squiggles on a black field, essentially. Um, No, uh, so they did release this in color. Uh, They filmed it in color and in widescreen. And uh, it was released in color. I don't think that they did a black and white copy of this. Cool. So uh, you are are correct. And I, I sort of drew that conclusion even later in the movie. Uh, as as my son and I were watching it, like just just how the colors sort of popped. Like if when you colorized a, a movie or a TV show back then, you had that sort of Technicolor effect, and you you kind of knew it was Technicolor. Yeah. This it, it seemed like it was like it was just more natural, and uh, I I ended up looking it up, and yeah, it is. Uh, it was shot in color. Well, and, and you can even, the, the color of the blob itself, whatever practical effects they did with, you know, cornstarch and food coloring or whatever the the actual stuff was made of had too many color variants, things like it, it just in those days when you would colorize something, it would be kind of flat, um, like you were kind of saying. And so even with the people, sometimes it's a little hard to tell because the, the filters, the things they would use, even in color uh, a film then today look a little looks a little bit odd, but yeah, that that makes sense. I'll I'll agree with history. Well, and it, it's I'm glad you brought up the the blob material. Um, so that was actually made uh, for this by uh, Union Carbide, and <laughs> I, I I think that's correct. I'm, I'm, Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna check on that right now because. While you I'm check, I will once again <laughs> once again confirm that the level of research I've poured into the background and details of everything done in this movie is a sum rate of zero. Um, I just refuse to taint the process, you know? I'm, no, it's important to stay true to yourself. Yeah, I don't want to put any and, effort and into the process. this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the actual blob, it's a mixture of red dye and silicone. Uh, it was delivered to the production company by Union Carbide. It is still in its original bucket. It has never dried out. In the Arctic? Uh, well, I mean, the blob obviously is in the Arctic. We'll t- we're we're going to touch on that a little bit later here. Uh, but no, the, the material is in a bucket uh, with the production company, and it's brought out for the annual Blob Fest, which is held in Pennsylvania every year. But how did Union Carbide make it sentient? Well, that's a whole other thing. Uh, Union Carbide got in some trouble for that. Uh, right after the production of this, it's it started eating cast members, and yeah. uh, that's why that's a real shot of at the end of the movie the the blob getting dropped into the Arctic by Globemaster. Um, it had to be done. It just, it, there was no way, there's no two ways about it. Yeah, there's no way they're going to make a sequel to this movie. Oh, nope. wait. <laughs> so anyway, getting back to the point at hand. You know who looks yeah. really young? 
uh, one Steve McQueen. He looks like he's just a kid. You know what's uh, great about that is he's not. <laughs> he's he's got to be at least thirty eight, huh? No, not not quite that old. So he's supposed to be a teenager in this, but he's yeah. twenty seven. <laughs> Perfect. Um, which is nuts when you think about like how how a, a twenty seven year old looks today. Like it's really hard unless you're like linda cardellini or somebody like that like it's really hard to play a younger character in your mid to late 20s it's just not not really that feasible so do you think that fad kind of grew out in the 90s after like beverly hills 90210 and the such um maybe i mean i I imagine it still goes on today like i i don't think that casting directors really care how old you are as long as you look the part I'm just daydreaming yeah. about when I can make my big debut. As a as a teenager in high as school? As a teenager in high school, yeah. I think I still got the chops. <laughs> You've certainly got the look down. Yeah, I mean, the, I've got the look. I've got the lingo. No one's ever doubted that. I'm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've got all the words down, like... Funky fresh. Fetch. Um, oh, just stop trying to make fetch happen. Yeah, I mean, but regardless, I'm I'm pretty sure after watching this movie that I can I can pull it off. Just slick back my hair and oh wait. Um anyway. <laughs> so, watching this movie, uh, it it again, it it kind of hits me the whole evolution of film, like where we've come from, where we're going, and I think the blob again, I, I didn't do research into the history of monster movies and all, but I think it was right in that golden age where we were just being introduced to these different aliens and monsters and things. And we weren't, you know, there was not a whole lot of back catalog or standards set up for such a thing. All any ideas like this tended to be just kind of out there and original and different and weird. And, you know, that there were the kind of things shown in film festivals, like they feature in the blob. Um, So, Mm -hmm. so it was pretty funny, you know, the way the, the, the meta-ness of that scene and how, how that unpacted. But I, you know, I, I feel like watching this, you know, going back to my stereotypical jumping in the beginning and saying if something was good or bad and if I liked it or not, this one really was pretty easy to just absorb, you know, let myself absorb. <laughs> I like the Bob, but like, no, like uh, <laughs> just to settle into the time period and appreciate it for what it was in its time and not get fixated on what it did or didn't look like all that kind of stuff. And, and my, my short answer is I actually, I enjoyed it. It was a little different than I was expecting. The, the, the story and pacing of it kind of threw me for a couple of loops here and there that we can get into, but like it all in all, like it was just, it was kind of a fun time and I could really appreciate it and, and just think about its place you know, in history, a little bit like we did with Jaws, but even further back and even simpler. And, and I think that it, it, especially when you you bring up a movie like Jaws, I think you can get an even deeper appreciation for like its its contribution and its its sort of place within history. Uh, I, I think Jaws is almost a little too close to modern times for us to go. Oh yeah, you know that's that's believable or that's you know enjoyable or whatever not that jaws isn't enjoyable i think we both had a good time watching it except for you 
Um, <laughs> out of the two of us, all of us the enjoyed of us, it, except me. at least fifty percent of us enjoyed the movie. But the parallels, like you have, you have a threat that is known and understood to be a threat. You have mm-hmm. a small minority of people trying to convince the town or the others that there is a threat, and they're more or less a lot of them are you know they're treated like they're idiots and that oh it's not even something to worry about and like and there's this build up and the tension where not everyone knows or believes this is really a problem and then you get to the point where it's unavoidably accepted as this is a real thing and there's really something happening and it's like that build up of the unseen monster that slowly becomes a real threat like that tension that kind of build up is something that I think I don't know I, I'm not gonna say it started with the blob necessarily but it definitely is isn't a thread that you see throughout time with these kind of suspense slash horror slash monster movies. Yeah, and I think that the 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 blob sort of comes in right about right about the beginning time of that sort of sci fi suspense horror type genre. Yeah, I mean, I'm th- there. There were movies like that prior to this, but I think that that this is sort of the where it becomes a bit more mainstream. It was cheaply made, and it wasn't. I shouldn't say cheaply made because it's not like it it doesn't look bad at least to me um for 1958 but it it was made on a a pretty lean budget and it it did extraordinarily well for the time i i think that you you get a lot of bang for your buck with the blob uh and you know talking about like building suspense and 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 tension and stuff like that they did a really good job of that between the music and the way that they shot this yeah uh you you really you got a sense of of sort of oh, 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 oh what's about to happen what's about to jump out at me which i think in 2019 watching a 1958 film it's hard to do so you you've got a really good uh, really good production going on here. Yeah, it was hard to really grasp, especially in the the beginning, the physics of this creature. Like, does it move fast or is it slow? Because in the end, it, it's relatively fast because of the, the relative size of it, and that makes more sense. But, like, there's this thing that at some times just seems, you know, like it's a little oozy thing that creeps up on people that are underneath cars or that don't know what's coming. But then later it also seems like it's the kind of thing that can like dart up and down the aisles of grocery store and not be seen and like, you know, go across town in a matter of seconds. And like, it's just as that, like, you know, I'm, I'm not like, that's one thing, even, you know, without being like, oh, it's an old movie and old effects, but just trying to really grasp into the tension and understanding of the peril that's at stake here. At times it's like, oh, well, just walk around it. You know, it's not it's it's not that threatening, but at other times. Right. Like, especially with the nurse, like, like, come on, it's just sitting right there. Just scoot into the other room. You'll be fine. I mean, if you scream long enough and just stand in one place and it slowly oozes onto you, yeah, you're in big trouble. I, th- that part, I did actually sort of get like a sense of sort of the, uh, you remember Austin Powers? Uh, <laughs> and he's he's on the, they're on the Zamboni. Or yeah. not, not the Zamboni, <laughs> the, uh, I'm thinking of Deadpool, the, uh, the steamroller. And it's going oh, yeah, super slow and the guard's like, no! But it takes like you know, 45 seconds for them to actually crush him. Uh, that's, that's sort of what I got a sense for there. But as far as the physics of the blob go, I mean, it says it right in the song. It creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. Those are the physics hmm. of the blob. 
I, I guess I should have just paid more attention to the opening credits and really thought about it. Well, you know, that's that's what you get. All right, so back to Steve McQueen. I, I kind of thought was is kind of fun and interesting and almost different than a lot of other movies in this time is that he was actually a good kid. You know, yeah. like, it, it's more popular to have the rebel, the bad boy, and it kind of felt like in the very beginning that's who he was going to be. I couldn't remember, you know, the extent of his character or what his personality was like from my last viewing 30 years ago. But, like, it was, like, I don't know, I want to say almost refreshing or original to have, you know, someone who's both cool and it isn't a liar. And, you know, like, all, like he actually probably never did take another girl up to that, you know, make-out area. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, he seems like a good guy. Like, I, I want to believe him. Yeah, no, me too. Um, I mean, he, obviously not without, like, his his sort of bad boyishness, Like, the, wanting to drag race backwards down the street or, or whatever. But he's not, like, out sleezing around or... or... He, he's more like the Fonz, you know? Like, he's cool, but he'll beat people without actually beating them up most of the time. Like, he'll, yeah, 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 he'll yeah. maybe intimidate them or trick them. But, like, at the same time... You find out later they're all kind of a big group of friends anyway, and it, it wasn't quite as standoffish as they make it seem in the beginning. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, which, you know, I, I got to wonder if, like, they, they did a test run with that and said, ah, oh, you know, maybe it's a little too edgy. Maybe we got to back it up a little bit and and make them, make them friends instead of, uh, you know, rivals or whatever. But, yeah, that, that, that blob went from an interesting problem to like a life-threatening monster that transition was a little bit awkward but like i mean it's still like i like the suspense and the idea of like did it or did it not kill the doctor and like i mean we know as an audience that it's a real thing but like like how they build that up it's okay and and i'm okay with the slow pacing and that it slowly started casually devouring people here and there before it really got big and got into a rampage mode but it really, yeah, it's that weird, like, at some point, like, when they're in the grocery or a grocery store, hardware store, whatever that store was, general yeah, store. Yeah, the grocery store, yeah. But uh, when they hid from it in the cooler and all that, like, it, it suddenly seemed like, and, and it's fine if it just changed because it's growing and evolving or whatever is happening. But it's like, well, now it's just like a ninja blob that can just, like, duck and <laughs> dodge no idea where it went to and... I was really kind of expecting it to be, like, up in the ceiling because I heard in a song once that it, like, creeps along the walls or something like that. So, but... It does creep along the walls, but it never explicitly said the ceiling. And, and that yeah. may be... That may be his weakness, the blob, is Cold ceilings. and ceilings. Cold and ceilings. Um, no, I, I agree with you very much on the pacing bit. Like, there's some scenes that go on forever... Uh, like the scene where Dave pulls over Steve and like Steve is giving an explanation as to what he's doing out and why he's on the wrong side of the road and driving backwards. Like I felt like that just went on forever. Uh, the the grocery store scene in the cooler, I, I felt like that probably could have been trimmed back by 10 or 15 seconds. But the uh, you, you mentioned uh, Doc Hallen and, and his death. I, I think that uh, first of all, he looks super pissed that they pulled up with this guy as he's getting ready to go out on, like, to a convention. He's like, yeah, on his I way get out it. the door, and they're like, oh, god damn it! Like, I'm trying to get out here. I'd be the same way. I I, I like how they how they sort of closed out Doc Allen. Like, obviously, this 
very large entity is killing this guy, but we don't know how to really shoot that. So I, uh, we're just going to have Doc Allen like thrash against the blinds, and that's going to be his death. Um, it, it got across to you kind of what was happening without without trying to fake it. Like As we get to the end of the movie, you have the shot of this giant blob on the diner, the, this boxcar diner, and it's animated. It's very obviously hand-drawn animated yeah um they they didn't try to go that route for a lot of the shots if they could help it like these big exterior shots sure absolutely like that's you 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 get what you get uh for these sort of kind of midfield or or closer shots like they tried to use this blob that they paid to have made as much as possible and i like have it rolling along the floor and they have it sort of like falling onto the camera under the uh, under the car to to demonstrate killing the mechanic and and like they're pushing it through uh, like squeezing it through the the ventilation ducts and things like that so you really get a good idea of of this happening and there's some spots where it's like okay we obviously know that this isn't real or that you're using a miniaturized set like in the movie theater when it just sort of squeezes out like that's uh, I don't think in 1958 you really believe that that was happening. Yeah, it did kind of have that like Play-Doh toy set feel when you're just yes. squeezing a thing through. But but as far as one's imagination goes, I think they were highlighting why this monster is different than the Wolfman. Or, you know, like this thing can get under the crack of a door and then be in your mm-hmm. house and kill you. This thing is quiet and can do things that no other monsters really do. And, and that is it can get to you. You know, and that's, I think, one, you know, obviously one is huge and, you know, at the point where it could devour, you know, an entire movie theater or, you know, like uh, buildings, you know, that's different. But when it's still small, it's still threatening because you're just, you're not going to be safe anywhere unless you like sleep, you know, outside in the winter or something. Yeah, exactly. There was a, there were a couple of chuckle worthy moments in this movie. The scene with Jane and her little brother, Danny. Oh, where where she's trying to get him to go back up to bed. <laughs> I'll get you a just, puppy. Like, making all these excuses to come with, and she's like, "I'll get you a puppy." Like the whole time, I'm just like, <laughs> "That's cute." Um, the the other one, uh, when the air raid siren is going off, and you got the old couple oh, yeah, in bed. The... <laughs> the old man gets out of bed, and he's in the closet, and he like pulls out his civil defense helmet, and <laughs> then all of a sudden he hears the fire engine, and he goes oh wait it's a fire he's like grabbing his volunteer firefighter helmet like that's a great little bit yeah it also made me kind of wonder what kind of power teenagers have in this town and you know i i grew up in an era where i was never really i never had access to a you know civil air defense siren like myself personally i always thought those (laughs) things were controlled from some you know semi-discreet location not just like i need to make some mute and some noise in the middle of the night i'll set off the air raid sirens i'll you know i like I'll, it's like i get the car horns and even you know if you're calling the police you know police to the fire station and saying hey there's fire get out here like that's all but the air raid sirens i was like what like how how are they setting those off i think that much like the fact that there are no black people in this movie it's a different time uh so you you know maybe maybe teenagers back then did know how to operate air raid sirens i don't know if we have any 
listeners who were teenagers back in 1958, please go ahead and let us know uh, if you had access to an air raid siren or knew how to get one started. That'd be great. Or if you can uh, confirm that there were people of color back in the 50s. Um, that, that too, yes. Because maybe, maybe uh, they just didn't exist then and it's not the fault of Hollywood. That could be true. But it's I, unlikely, but it yeah. could be true. Again, uh, you're you're the research guy. You know, that's right. I mean, I'm just going Hold with on. what we watched. Hang on, just, just let me let me just check. Black people, fifties? Question mark. Oh, is that a yes or? Oh dear. Um, uh, that sounds bad. Did something bad happen then? Um, I mean, like some stuff. Huh. Well, we'll have to see if they made any movies about it. I doubt it, though. Yeah, I mean, we'll 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 look that up. We'll we'll look that up uh, off mic and see if we can find any movies uh, about that time period uh, featuring uh, people of color. You remember that one time when we talked about how sometimes on our podcast we get off topic? Yeah, I did see the trailer for the Harriet Tubman movie, and I think it looks awesome. I have not watched that trailer yet. I still need to. A lot of the historical fiction movies, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I just, well, I like it when I end up seeing it, but I don't like get too excited. But that that was a really good trailer, um, and it ties into the blob because of our unfortunate, uh, you know, devolvement. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, going back to the the sort of hand drawn stuff. Um, there were some neat effects for the time, and even like the the push through stuff that that I just talked about, um, they they really made good use of what they had to work with, um, and and when they didn't have anything to work, with, I mean obviously you can't cover an entire boxcar diner with goo, so what do you do? Well, you don't have a computer generation, but thing or majiggy, so you hand draw it. Um, and I think that they did pretty well, despite the fact that like, today you can obviously tell, oh, this is this is totally fake. Or like in the in the fridge compartment when it realized that it was cold and wanted to leave, they obviously just ran the film footage backwards and instead of you know extruding it inward, they pulled it out. But like that was clever because it would be impossible to get this ooze to just get to pull it back you know from where you right. squeezed it in but it looked like oh okay it's retreating like it worked it was like just a nice little shortcut to, to make the effect work yeah they did that uh that same sort of shot with uh early in the movie with the the kids drag racing um they, yeah driving backwards they, they, right going backwards they obviously they shot it forwards you could see the uh <laughs> the exhaust gas going back into the muffler back when you were allowed to have exhaust gas come out of your muffler yeah out of your tailpipe the, the, good, old the good old days <laughs> so let's um, do a quick checklist on this movie character development ah no it, d- it depends on the character i guess um character development for steve mcqueen sure character yeah. development for any other character in the movie not so much. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no with a dash of Steve McQueen, maybe. Uh, but even that, uh, the the only other character who who I might say gets, uh, or, or maybe two characters who get a little bit of development, 
are Lieutenant Dave and Doc Allen. But they're more or less always exactly what they are. I mean, they're good characters, but they don't actually change ever. Right. That's fair. But I, I mean, mean, but at least you, I'm not expecting you much. know who they are. Yeah. So okay. So character development, not not a big pulling point for this movie. How about plot? I guess the plot is this alien thing crashed and starts to devour stuff. And if you're if you want to just say, you know, game set match, that's it. Then yeah, sure. I mean, it had a perfectly serviceable plot. This thing it didn't need to have a motivation. It just kind of devoured stuff. Um, so yeah, so it has a plot, right? It has a plot. Yeah, and it, it doesn't need to have depth of plot. Like this yeah. isn't an art school film or anything like that. It's it's a it's a nineteen fifty eight Friday night sci fi horror flick. No, but like this this blob thing. I said earlier it was sentient, but I mean we don't even know. It could just be like just a dumb creature. You know, it could have no. No, well, but it's thoughts. it's motivated, obviously. It's, it's like motivated drawn to heat sources hunger. to eat them. Sure. So yeah. So and that's cool. I'm not trying to make it into like a, a negative point, but I'm just kind of thinking about the movie overall. And then yeah, then we get to the the pacing of the movie. We both have noticed they're a little problematic in several scenes that dragged a bit that didn't need to. And then inconsistent. Let's, and if we can just talk a second about the ending of the movie, it was... Oh, yes, I had some notes. It, it was somewhat... I mean, it was... When you said you chuckled with the, the stupid kid and being like, well, I want to go with you and I'll protect you. Um, I didn't laugh at that as much as I rolled my eyes because everybody knows that kids are stupid. Um, but the end when it was like... <laughs> He's yelling up at the phone, CO2, get more fire extinguishers. And they're like, we've got them at the high school. And they do the whole, like, the thing. And they spend, like, <laughs> the guy's, like, going through his keys trying. The principal's going to open the, the door. And they're all standing there. And then they take this big dramatic moment where he goes to get a rock to smash the window of the door. Like, <laughs> like that it all, I'm sure that, you know, Steve waiting and them waiting to be rescued are just like, really, you're going to hesitate and well, make this big fair, dramatic statement? To be fair, we didn't evolve elbows as a species until about 1972. So you couldn't really use your elbow to bust in that window and and, and speed things along. I feel a little you bit had, you weird. You had to go and look for a rock. That doesn't seem right to me, but I'm again, I'm not the, the internet it's guy. It's just good science, John. I have to take your word for it. Maybe later I'll see if there's any documentaries on elbows that I can watch and find out the truth. Fahrenheit 9-11. That makes no sense. Um, <laughs> elbows aren't a bone. Um, anyway, yeah, so the whole elbow thing, kicking in the door, none of that <laughs> happened. He got the rock and got in, which I think is a statement about, you know, the Beatles and how they ruined America. Um, so... Then they started going back in troves, and they're building up. It's going to be the final battle. It kind of reminded me of the ending of season three of Buffy, and they're they're all like banding together, and they're going to defeat this thing, and the smoke's flying. And then, like literally less than thirty seconds later, the movie's over. It's like they're spraying a fire extinguisher, and then they have a little bit of exposition. They just show a capsule dropping in the Arctic, and it's like, well, okay, well, well, I mean. Yeah, I guess that that uh, they sprayed some fire extinguishers on it. It just it's done. Okay, we're done. Credits. It's over. It's completely done. Like in a second, it's just gone. It's like okay, cool. We didn't drag that out. Nope. They they were like, hey guys, we're we're down to our last you know 
800 frames of film here. We gotta, uh, we gotta do something, like now. We hired that cartoonist on Fiverr to come in and draw this blob for us, and <laughs> he's already drained the last ten dollars of our budget. And there's really not much else we can do because Steve McQueen's already left the set. So, um, yeah, capsule Arctic, it's done. Yeah, pretty much. Um, no, the the part that I laughed at uh, in the ending is taking it up to the Arctic. They're like, "Oh, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta keep it cold. Take it up to the Arctic or something where it'll never thaw out." And I'm like, "Oh, you sweet summer child, if you only knew what 2019 was like, and how the Arctic is is melting away at an ever increasing rate." You know, you uh, just you just brought up a great uh, brainstorming idea for me. Now, now I joked before about there not being sequels, remakes, whatever. But of course, there have been you know like three or four or five of them. But sure, some people say one of my hidden talents is coming up with new alternative sequels that feature what we've seen in the movies that oh yes. recently. So I think, and this is not me messing around, just being stupid for a hilarious joke. The I really Endgame. think. I really think this could be good. Blob Endgame with all the members of Avengers and the... Yes. Wait, no, no, shut up. But if you... You can make a more realistic, like... It doesn't have to be a global warming is melting ice caps and human beings are out of control. But it could be more of a... This thing could be discovered and it could be like a natural sequel where it's really just a capsule found by someone and it's getting warmer and so this thing starts to come out like... We don't often have a lot of. Sometimes a lot of sequels just feel forced, or you know, well, it made a lot of money, so the ending seemed pretty airtight. But we'll figure a way to, to write it all back into existence. But this would like really give some precedence for how you know we could introduce the blob back into existence. But this time, it's learned to be immune to the cold. Bam! Oh shit! Yep, that's what I got so far. Um, the, I do have this piece towards the end where it turns out that it, it is uh, susceptible to certain frequencies as sung by Selena Gomez, but that's going to depend a lot on whether we can get her signed on to this film. Oh, hold on. I just got your title. <gasps> Selena Gomez singing certain frequencies of notes. The movie's called Brown Note. And she has to sing the brown note in order to stop the blob. I feel like I don't have a sigh that is going to be picked up sufficiently by this microphone. (laughs) But let me give it a shot anyway. (sighs) You've undone all of the good work we've done here today. Let's move on. Do you have a final question for us? I have a final question, uh, and it's a pretty easy one. Um, it doesn't have to be a role that he played in, but uh, what is your favorite Steve McQueen movie? It's not The Blob. Nope. <laughs> um, not that I didn't like The Blob, because I did. Uh, but no, Blob is, is probably not my answer. If if I'm like wanting some, if I think just quintessential Steve McQueen stylization, I think my favorite is probably him in Bullet. Um, but I think that maybe just in God terms of, you. in terms of like, just the overall 
spectacle of things, then I'd probably say the movie itself, like The Towering Inferno. Um, just that's a, one of those movies I saw like so long ago. And at the time as a kid, it, it kind of just was that everything about it was like quintessential disaster. And it just I can't even say I liked it when I was a kid, but it was definitely like scary and just crazy. Yeah, I and Towering Inferno came out right around the same time as uh, Earthquake, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure there was a series of a few different disaster films that became really popular back then. Yeah, and I mean, he, not that he was in Earthquake, but I, I remember liking both Towering Inferno and Earthquake. So that's a really good choice. I'm probably gonna have to go because you already said Bullet. Just go with Papillon. Yeah. Uh, Papillon is is a fantastic film. If you guys have not watched it, uh, please please go do so. That's uh, where Steve McQueen's a flamenco dancer, yep. and the only way he's going to earn the love of his sweet sweet Brittany is by dancing at the New York Times. Yep, <laughs> that's that's the plot of that movie. Yep, the New York Times. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. <laughs> um. All right, before we wrap it up, uh, I want to thank all you guys who have voted so far in our uh, poll. Uh, if you are not familiar with the poll that we're talking about, please go to uh, facebook.com slash the memory distillery. We have the poll uh, in a post there. It's a Survey Monkey poll. Uh, you get to pick our next movie that we watch. So uh, this airs on Monday. Uh, we watch on, or we, we record the pre-portion of the show on Tuesday. So you have until 6 p.m. Mountain Time Tuesday to get your vote in. Uh, the four movies you have to choose from are Swingers, Rain Man, Blade, and uh, what was my other movie? Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Thank you. So, so Swingers, I know you- Rain Man, Blade, and Goodwill Hunting. I know you've been keeping track of such things. Can you give us a taste of maybe who's like in the lead if there is a, a leader at this point? I can. Let me refresh uh, the survey. Because I know a little while ago we checked and we had a lot of responses, but there were like two or three of them were pretty close in the rankings. Yeah, so now it's actually even tighter. Um, Oof. Swingers, Rain Man, and Goodwill Hunting are all knotted up and not very far behind Blade. Uh, so Blade in the lead with those three movies not far behind. So what you're saying is that at this point, every vote matters. Every vote matters, unlike the general election. Uh, thanks, Electoral College. Uh, cool. So yeah, get out, vote for <sighs> your favorite movie for us to watch. <laughs> that, that was another sigh, just in case you're wondering. And no, uh, I, I couldn't feel the exasperation when you just sighed like that. Uh, that is our show, everyone. Please make sure to subscribe to us and uh, listen every week on Mondays. Uh, we're on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, Podcast Addict, pretty much any podcatcher you can think of. Uh, so, yeah, jump on and, and subscribe and listen every Monday. Uh, you can also follow us facebook.com slash the memory distillery you know at this point i usually talk about the song destroying the evidence by semaphore which is the song we use in our podcast each week and it's awesome but this week i'm not going to because 
I'm going to just say you shall go out and listen to The Blob. Find it. It was it was a hits on the radio at the time back in the late 50s. Treat yourself to something wonderful. And then once you've played that 30, 40, 50 times and you need to cleanse your pelt and get back into the real world, go back to destroying the evidence by semaphore. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, John, can people email us? They can. They can email me personally, and I'll get that to you later. But if you want to just the whole the whole podcast, email us at thememorydistillery at gmail.com. You know it. You love it. Write us and tell us how your day's going. Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, well, I am Anthony Verneri. And I am John Deck. And this has been The Memory Distillery. Stay classic, San Diego. <laughs>